0: This is the Equip Podcast hosted at Rocky Creek in Greenville, South Carolina. This weekly course seeks to equip our church for the work of ministry. Hope it will help you as well. So Psalm 22, we're going to be talking about the ending of hostility. Does that sound like a good idea today? Just the ending of hostility, however we can pull it off, okay? (laughs) We'll be the goal. Um, I put in there in your sheet that as the United States continues to further the philosophical divide, the greatest point of conflict has to do with all citizens respond to God. And what I mean by that is is that um, obviously yeah, we are kind of joking around, but but I, I really do. It's going to be interesting to see when every vote is finally cast and everything is official. Um, I Sometimes when you preach three services, I'm not exactly sure. What did I say? Did I say that in this service or that service or whatever? But I really do believe that even though um, Vice President or President-elect Joe Biden has come out and declared victory, Donald Trump has never lost a thing in his life. And that man's not going to go down without a few more swings, I don't believe. Uh, and, you know, I will say this you, I am confident that out of how many millions of votes that were official, whatever they're legal or illegal or whatever, there's something funny with at least a couple of them, right? Okay, we can, I think everybody would admit there's something funny with some of them. You don't know how many. I remember looking at Amanda one night, and I said, I just want justice. That's all I want. Like, if the country is decided this way or that way, I'll be fine with it. I just want to know that's who was voted on. I want to know it was clean, and that's just where we are, and yet we'll never know. If they go back and recount every single thing, we're never going to know, right? Uh, And so it is quite the mess, and so there's going to be, you know, um, as we go through this, I I do think that uh, I am thankful— I don't know about you, but I felt like as the week went on from Tuesday to Saturday, that while, you know, I started getting a little bit numb to all the news stuff, and I almost felt like, well, what's going to happen is going to happen. On Tuesday night, I was really high charged and what's going to take place by Thursday or Friday. I'm like, okay, you kind of feel like it's happening. And, And I honestly wonder, was that God's grace answering some of our prayers that there would be more peace in America that happened? Because I think as the week went on some things were disarmed, right? At least people's um, maybe tempers or attitudes. I'm not saying that we're going to have a complete clean slate of it and that there's not going to be more conflicts to come. Uh, but I do know this, that if that's the case, there's going to be continued hostility and conflict. But ultimately, I do believe that the biggest conflict we have as a nation or any other nation is how we respond to God. What do we do? And so uh, as All nations rage against God. He has a sovereign plan to deal with every single one. And the reason why I put it that way is um, Psalm chapter 2. I did say Psalm 2, right? Or did I say 22? I meant 2, by the way. I just was, all these 70 weeks today are confusing me, okay? Psalm chapter 2. As I was praying and thinking through about us spending a little bit of time in the Word tonight, was that this question that starts out Psalm 2? It says, Why do the nations rage? Why do they rage? Um, and the people's plot in vain. And so I want us to go to this psalm because I think it really does help us understand some things that are going on. So uh, if we go to Psalm 2, the first few verses here talk about how the nations are hostile toward God. And let's, let's read this. It says, Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us." Now, um, let me ask you this question if you think about it. Uh, how many of you have been outside of the United States of America, another country? Okay. Uh, some of you have been to other places around the world, and even in the midst of where the United States are, you may still say, I'd still choose this place over other places, right? Now that, that's me saying that I've loved some other places I've been to and I'm thankful for it, but then sometimes you get over those places and you go, oh, I didn't know to even thank you for water fountains, right, or something like that, or plumbing. That's a really good thing I don't normally thank God for. And you get there, and you're, you're very thankful. And so when you get to this, there's a lot of things as a citizen we grow up and we're used to. But when it comes alongside here, and it says that the nation's rage and the people's plot in vain, I believe that this is a picture of that every single nation, past, present, and future, have a hostility towards the work of God. And that includes the United States of America, right? And you go, well, not me. I know not you. I'm saying as a country and as individuals, every kingdom is going to be like this. Every nation throughout history has portrayed a deep hostility toward God's authority. Even God's people in the Old Testament, do they not? (laughs) They showed a hostility. There's a nation raging kind of still. The, the, the nations rage and the people plot in vain. So when he asked this question, why do the nations rage? Why are they getting so upset? Uh, another way of writing this, in my, my footnote there it says, why do the nations Noisily assemble. <laughs> why are they getting all up in arms? Right, we've seen some of the nation in our nation raging over this last year, and the people's plot in vain. So, what are they plotting together? In vain means empty, right? Making all this hubbub about nothing. What? Why is that happening? And it says that the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. So here's all these authorities working together. Why? The only time that you find kings and authorities and presidents and leaders deciding to work together is when they have a common enemy. You know? you see These countries, we're going to have a peace treaty. That means that we want to work together against these people, right? We're coming together so this can happen. So who are these kings of the earth setting themselves against? Who are the rulers taking counsel together? It says against the Lord and against his anointed one. Now, this psalm originally, uh, as you read it, there was probably a lot of uh, originally thinking that this was about the anointed king of Israel. Hey, this is God's protection. But if we read, as we, we mentioned this week, this uh, morning, uh, tonight, that when we talk about the anointed one, that word means Messiah or Christ, the anointed one. So when we read this through the eyes of Jesus, it says... Why are these people counseling together against the Lord and against his anointed one, his Messiah? They are saying, let us burst the bonds apart and cast away the cords from us. They're basically saying this. We want to rid ourselves of God's influence. Now, let me ask you that question. Is that present in the United States of America right now? Let's rid ourselves of God's influence in our life sure it is on every, on every stretch of it the human heart is seeking independence from god's presence we want to be able to be like adam and eve we don't need god anymore we're going to decide what we eat what we take what we decide is good and evil and that is taking place these nations are coming together and saying against his anointed saying let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us we're saying let us get rid of god's influence now we find that type of ridding of god's influence by the way that we will legislate morality in this country, or I would say delegislate morality, or maybe legislate immorality might be a better way to say it, right? We're legislating immorality. Anything goes in our culture, and as it continues, the, the, the slide just continues to grow even further down. And so we want to burst the bonds apart, cast away their cords from us. We don't want God to tell us what to do. Same thing in the Garden of Eden. Are you sure God said Is the same question Satan is asking every country today? So if we think about the nation of the United States of America, while it was built on Christian principles, uh, many of you h- historical buffs know this, that many of the signers of the Constitution were practicing Christians, and some of them were practicing deist. Okay? You know what a deist is? It doesn't necessarily mean a follower of Christ. It just means a belief in some higher power. They believe that a God exists. They don't really have a name for them. They're not really necessarily dedicated. Now, that's some of the framers of our Constitution, some of the Founding Fathers, not all of them. But you do have a sense of that the United States of America was built on the bedrock of a lot of Old Testament, New Testament principles. There is that. Um, Now, that doesn't mean necessarily just because they're built there. And um, many of you would remember that in many courthouses, maybe when you grew up or maybe you can find some today where the Ten Commandments would still be present there certain places, right? Hey, there's a higher authority we're we're ascribing to. Now, putting Ten Commandments on a courthouse wall, does that mean we are a Christian nation? Not exactly, right? It means that we're influenced by good things, biblical things. It's a positive deal, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. So what happens, though, is that in every nation where it's saying we're going to burst the bonds apart, we want to cast away the cords from us. So you can go to certain communist regimes Around the world that are literally anti-God in their approach to government, right? Atheist is the um, official religion. We have no need for God. That's present there. But also in countries like the United States of America, what we've got is we we have this, what I would call almost a practical atheist. Okay? It's, we don't want God to tell us what to do. Just get them out of our lives, right? And so this is taking place there. But then what's interesting, as the nations are hostile to God, the verse 4 really tells us that the nations are humorous to God. He kind of think, thinks they're funny. And, and I, I like this verse because it says, verse 4, He who sits in the heavens laughs. laughs. He's laughing. Laughing at what? All these kings and authorities and dictators getting together, having a plan on how to get rid of God. And it says, how do they see God? God's in heaven laughing at this point. It says the Lord holds them in derision. He thinks they're just ridiculous. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. So we have this joke around our house that I'll I'll ask a lot of times my kids. How old do you think you're going to be before you can take me down, right? You know, how old do you think I I got? Like, how how old do you think you're going to be? You got enough muscles to take your old man down, right? And I tell them that you get old man strength, and I'm just telling you, you're not going to be able to whip me. That's what I tell them all the time. But um, if you've ever like kind of. You know, joked around or whether it's, you know, wrestle like when your kids or grandkids, this kind of stuff. You know they're putting up a whole lot of work and you're going, (laughs) it's it's not really a fight, right? They're exhausted and they're fighting, but you're kind of in control. And it's kind of this thing like you're laughing at that opposition. This is how God sees the most powerful men and regimes throughout all of history. He laughs at them. He's like, oh, that's cute. Y'all fighting? Huh, that's interesting, right? And they're pushing and they're working together. Let's see how many we can get, right? And take down, you know, God. And and it says, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. That God sees the schemes of the world and he thinks it's rather humorous to it. And it starts off this way by saying that he who sits where laughs? He who sits in the heavens. So, the very fact that God's residence is heaven should remind us of our fickle claim to any type of control. So if you live in heaven, you're kind of in control, right? Okay? So whenever we, we even start from that premise that God's in heaven, we're on earth, whenever we start saying, you know what, I'm going to be in control here, it's somewhat laughable, somewhat laughable that if we think that it's, it's not necessary. And so the very fact that he says our God, he sits in heaven's, And yet he laughs. It reminds us that God is in control. We are not. Uh, And then it says he's going to speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. So if I'm in control, I can do what I want to do, position people where I want to position them. God is more amused by our dealings than he is threatened by them. Okay. And when I say amused, I'm not saying that like God pulls up his Netflix account every Friday night and goes, let me see what America's getting into and laugh at us. I think it's more of the picture of God saying, you really don't know who you're dealing with here. You you cause all these issues and you try to fight against me, you try to push me out, and you try to act like I'm not president anymore, and he laughs at it. It's, It's more amusing to him than threatening. God is not sweating bullets right now based upon anybody who got elected into office. He's not concerned about what's happening in North or South Korea. He's not concerned about what's happening in China or Sudan. He's concerned about the people there, but he's not intimidated by any of the forces or leaders there. And that's encouraging to me, right? It's, it's, it's very encouraging for me to think through that God is actually more amused than this. He, he's not really concerned about what's going on. Now, Here's what uh, a lot of people have, um, you know, once again, if, if things continue to go the way they are in the United States or what everybody, it seems like they're going to go to, uh, a lot of people will say, well, why? Why is this happening? Or why this person and not that person? As we have mentioned in this, a lot of people uh, even, um, I, I I will say this. I don't know many people who uh, voted passionately, and I was encouraged by this as an American citizen. How many people did vote on Tuesday or weeks ago or after the fact or whatever it is, right? I'm very thankful that many people voted. Um, But I believe that most people that I talked with on every side of this, I did not hear one person who was passionate about Joe Biden. I heard people who were passionate about Trump or against Trump. I heard people who were supportive of a party I didn't hear a whole lot of people going, I can't wait for those things that Joe Biden is going to bring. I had a lot of people saying, I am passionate about taking that man out of office, right? And, and so even people that I know that are Democratic, that are very passionate about their party, thought, oh, is this the best we got here? But they were so against one position that they said, we're going to get behind it, 100%. And so the passion there goes into this, and, and there is this um pushback and i think i mentioned here a few weeks ago that part of the issues that i was speaking with especially with some of the college students at north greenville some of them had got so frustrated with the blind eye that the church would look at some of the things that donald trump did as like oh that's all right it's just no big deal and they go no you got to hold the man accountable you still can call sin out and so it caused some people to push back from what I would say is conservative values because they could not stand the person who was representing it. Does that make sense? Right or wrong, it just happened. And I think that most people here that I've talked to would say, I might support this candidate or that candidate and I just don't really like them as a person, but I support the candidacy. I support that this is better than that. Some people would even say it's the lesser of two evils. And even folks, was this discussion not happening four years ago? Four years ago. I think it was so unique. And let's just go back in time four years ago. Right before it was time to vote, a video surfaced about Donald Trump talking about women. Some of you remember that video clip and what he said. Horrible, horrible, vile, crass stuff. And most people thought, that's it for him. <laughs> no chance he's going to get it. And he got it. <laughs> he somehow pushed through it, right? And everybody like struggled with it because you're sitting here going, like, there's no way. And I had so many people say, I can't stand him as a person and what he did. I'm not voting for him as president. I'm voting for Supreme Court justices. That's what I'm voting for. I heard a lot of people talk about that. If you think through in how, if God truly is sovereign over all the nations, and I believe that he is, in four years, President Trump appointed how many Supreme Court justices? Three in the eight years previous that uh, President Obama was in office, you know how many he put in position? Two. So I've had some people go, okay, well, we did not want, we didn't believe in Donald Trump as a president. We just wanted somebody conservative to appoint conservative justices. It happened. Job got done. Other people said, we needed somebody to take the right stance on Israel. That happened. Now, that limited window of presidency, it's moved on. And this is what I, I don't know because I do believe that God works through the workings of different presidents and, and different things. I think even in the midst of um, so many things that I would dislike about different presidents that come through, God can even use some of the bad ones, right? He can. And, and so what's unique about all of this moving, and, and I think even though there's not a lot of people that are... Uh, Excited about the candidate that has declared victory. There's a lot of people who are excited about removal of one or the concept of this group. Um, Here's what I do know that I think that God in heaven is laughing (laughs) at all of our, we got to do this and we got to do this and this group and that group and we're going to change this and whatever. And I think he's just going, folks, calm down. I got this. I'm in control. Everything's fine. And I think it's interesting. What does he say? He says he'll speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. What's he saying? You might put presidents and different dictators and authorities into certain offices, but I have my king, and he sits on a holy hill. I'm in heaven, he's on a holy hill. He's in Zion, he's going to reign forever, and just trust in that process. And so all of our doings and all of our things that we got all upset about, God has almost seen this as somewhat humorous to him. Now, if you turn the page over, um, I believe that this is talking about a prophetic way of looking at Jesus Christ, the coming Son of God. That when Psalms were written, Jesus had not come about uh, on earth yet. But in verse 7 it says, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my Son, today I have begotten you ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So, so here's this decree that's going out. The Lord is saying to some figure, you are my son, right? When this was written, probably the people thought this was about the, the king of Israel at this time. We read this through the eyes of, we know that there is a son who has come. His name is Jesus. And, And this makes a little bit more sense, especially when you think of verse 8, when saying all the nations are going to be your heritage. David never had all the nations as his heritage. Solomon, in all his glory, never had a bunch of nations under him. No king of Israel ever had that, but there is one who came who would. And so God's son will be given all nations as his heritage, is what these verses are telling us. So God's son, I believe, Jesus Christ, that all the nations of the heritage will come. Now, it's interesting. I think this is probably late... 90s, there was a good worship song that came out that was sung at every missions conference. It was by Hillsong. It says, um, uh, ask of me and I'll give the nations to you, O Lord. You might remember that song. It was a great mission song comes from this verse, but if you really look at it, it's not a real good mission verse. It's not saying, ask of me and you can evangelize the nations. It says, ask of me and I'm going to put all the nations in their place. Okay, It's really what this verse is about. Um, Ask of me and I'll give the nations to you as your heritage. And so as the divine potter, he is able to shape any king or kingdom for his purpose. It says there at the end of verse 9, you dashed them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And if we think about the prophet Jeremiah, uh, I believe it's chapter 18, he sat at the potter's wheel, right, making the clay the way he wants to. And uh, Paul would pick up on this imagery in Romans 9, and he said, you know how ridiculous it would be for a pot to look at the potter and go, why did you make me this way? I don't like the way you shaped me. You should have done this better. It'd be ridiculous for a pot to do that to the potter. And he goes, and that's what you're doing. You're acting like somehow you're in control. And the potter, if you've ever sat down and and seen someone do this, I have tried briefly to be able to even just do it at some exhibit I went to, and it was a hot mess of trying to shape this thing, right? The potter's wheel going around, and you put your finger here, and it gets smaller, and you do all these kind of things. Somebody who knows what they're doing is beautiful. But it's this picture of God is at the potter's wheel and he is shaping the world the way that he wants to shape it. And I go, yeah, but we're casting votes. And he goes, yep. And I'm shaping the wheel the way that I want to do it. And and this gives me great hope because there has never been a president elected to the United States of America of which God was still not sovereign over. There was never a moment that God went to sleep on election night on Wednesday morning. He went, do what? What are we going to do now? There's never this moment like, I can't believe it, right? Um, He was the only one, right, who knew how these, well, he's definitely the only one who knows what the votes were this time, but he's the only one who saw the end result, right, could see it clearly. And so he's sitting there at the potter's wheel, and in verse 8 it says, ask of me and I'll make the uh, nations your heritage, all nations, including the United States of America, would be the, the heritage of Jesus Christ. The ends of the earth, your possession. That, that God is the owner of all. And verse 9 says, You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. He's saying, hey, when the potter says this is no good anymore, he throws against the wall, and it, it's done for. It's done for. How many nations, especially as we've been walking through the book of Daniel, have we realized how these great, huge empires are now? No more. No more. No um, more. It's remarkable if you think about what the United States has been through in just a few hundred years of existence, right? Not long. Not long at all. And You think about all the things that has happened and yet you also go, let's be honest, uh, Americans, you think, yeah, what happened to the Greeks or the Romans or the different, it'll never happen to us. So said all of them, (laughs) right? They all did at one point. And, uh, And so we're at this unique stage in history where this leading uh, giant among the nations, and yet, God is still sovereign over all of them. Never been a moment where He's not He's not in control. And and so with this, um, folks, have, have you ever seen moments throughout history where there's this high and mighty leader, and nobody can touch him? And all of a sudden, some sickness just takes them out. Some some person who's supposed to be loyal to them betrays them, and you know, I I don't know where. Like this person's untouchable, and all of a sudden. God does those things and and that he's in control no matter what takes place. And so while the Son has authority of all the nations, it also says here that the people have responsibility. If you look at verse 10, it says, Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Once again, if I'm interpreting this as a prophetic psalm, he says, I want all kings of the earth to rise up and to be wise. How do you be wise? You need to be warned. You're in a ruler's position. Well, most people that are rulers don't fear anybody. And what this passage is really telling you, you need to serve the Lord with fear, verse 11, and you rejoice with trembling. The wisest leaders are those who lead from a position of being led. Wisest leaders that have ever been graced history are those who lead from a position of being led. Um, I can remember years ago um, dealing with someone. uh, I was talking with a friend who was a part of um, this organization, and unfortunately the organization was going through this turmoil and and, the the person who had started up the whole organization was found out to be doing some wrong dealings. And so the, the group's trying to get this person out. And this person, who had seen all this great success, started the company, started the organization, built it, to all this kind of deal. And then all of a sudden, they start pushing him out. And he looks at the people who have the right to do that. And he looks at them and says, you can't do this. I am this company. Okay, is what he basically said. I am this. What this organization. It's, it's, it's synonymous with me. I've done this. I'm responsible here. And I imagine that was the last thing that that, that group of people ever listened to that person, right? Because they go, all right, if your pride has deceived you so much that you don't think that you have any accountability to anybody, this is the point where you have to be removed. Uh, it says, kings, be wise, be warned, rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Here's what I would pray um, what I have prayed for President Trump and what I will pray for if President-elect Biden becomes President Biden, I will pray that if that individual does not know Jesus Christ, they will come to know. Him. And I pray that, that God will surround them with some godly people to speak the truth and that they would bend their knee to Jesus. That's what I pray. Um, I have prayed it for President Trump, I prayed it for President Obama, I'll pray it for whoever the next president is. The ones that I like, the ones that I don't like, the ones that I support, the ones that I don't really want to support, I'm going to pray. And this is what I want to pray. I want them to serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling because the best type of leaders in any type of organization know you're ultimately not in charge. That's why I think it's great. My position as as a pastor, I'm really called to be a shepherd. And the Bible says that actually I'm an under shepherd. There's a higher shepherd than me. (laughs) And that's Jesus Christ. He's over all, and I'm kind of in that position of going, okay, as long as I'm following King Jesus, then, then we're in a good place, right? And every leader, if they could understand this, that in a position to lead, you've got to be able to say, I'm going to lead out, and understanding that I am led. What I think is so dangerous about positions of authority is that people get to the highest position that they can get to, and they no longer think they need God, right? And then they can do it on their own. And so what's needed here, I love it. says, serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling. Verse 12, kiss the sun. That sounds a little bit weird, right? <laughs> Back in those days, if you were to kiss the ring of the king, right, what's that saying? I submit to you. I, I pledge allegiance to you. You are the highest authority of my life. I will put my sword in your care. I will put my life uh, doing what you need me to do. And I believe, as speaking especially of Jesus, that Every person will either submit to Jesus or resist him. Every single person in life, that will be one of our stories. We will either submit to him or we will resist him. And in this, the psalmist is saying, so what you want to do is you want to kiss the sign. You want to submit to God. You want to submit to Jesus. Lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. That's a good place as an American citizen to land on tonight, right? <laughs> take refuge in him. Take refuge in, no matter who's president, no matter who's president-elect, God is sovereign over all, and His Son one day is going to bring all nations to Him together. And so what has been, honestly, the most helpful thing for me to think through leading up to this time um, as, as a nation, but especially as a Christian within it, is that the church's job doesn't change regardless of who is in office. It doesn't. Church's job doesn't change regardless of who is in office. So the nations can rage all they want to. This nation can rage, and we can protest, and we can argue, and we can fight in the streets. We can fight on Twitter. We can do whatever we need to do to yell and scream at everybody else who doesn't believe like us. But ultimately, the church's job doesn't change regardless of who's in office. So if there is a conservative, um, Bible-professing believer of Jesus Christ that becomes president, guess what, church? We still need to make disciples of all nations. And if the Antichrist himself goes into office as the President of the United States of America, guess what we're supposed to do? Make disciples of all nations. It doesn't change for us. Now, are there certain scenarios that make it a little bit easier for that to happen? Sure it is. Sure it is. There are different scenarios that make it easier, more conducive for that to happen, but it doesn't mean that we can't do our job if something changes. So our job as a church is this. We will continue to go with the gospel until Jesus comes for us. That's what we're called to do. And that's something we can actually control, right? I can't control anything else going on. I don't know how to respond to a whole lot of stuff. There's so limited things of which I'm in control of, but I can't control that. I'll continue to go with the gospel until Jesus comes for us. So as a church, we say, okay, we're going to be the church, and we're going to prepare ourselves for whatever thing might be on the way. We want to continue to be faithful. And so why do the nations rage? Why do the United States, why do we rage among ourselves? Why do people plot in vain? Because we don't want God's presence among us. We want to be independent. We want to be our own thing, do our own own way. And yet what desperately we need is that that, that we have people who follow and love Jesus in this nation. That's what we need. Um, And until that happens, we're going to continue to go and share that with other people. So um, one of my favorite, favorite songwriters... um, uh, growing up, was a guy by the name of Rich Mullins. Anybody remember old Rich Mullins? Okay, So the songs you would remember definitely are like worship courses like Awesome God or Step by Step. Those things got really big. Um, first time I ever heard the hammered dulcimer was by Rich Mullins. He's the guy that it looks like a little, uh, some, what is it? Trapezoid. trapezoid. I thought it was okay. Good thing. All right, it's so a little trapezoid there, uh, instrument. You take these little hammers and you, you you pluck on it and it make these beautiful sounds. Um, I was a teenager, and I thought it was the most beautiful instrument i ever heard, and so I said, one day I'm going to buy me one. So I bought one a few years ago, and the thing is like complex algebra every time you're playing it. My eyes are going crossed, and it's just very difficult to play, But it's gorgeous, it's gorgeous. Rich Mullins was this guy who, as he wrote songs, uh, even though that he had passed away before um, or after the time, I actually um, started really listening to him, I just felt like he was an honest, godly songwriter, who just was in the midst of just, you know, following Jesus. Uh, in fact, um, people would say about Rich Mullins, he made a lot of the Christian community uh, singers very uncomfortable because he'd always say what he thought, and he gave away a lot of his wealth, and actually he went and go lived on an Indian reservation with people who had been forgotten by the government, and he just was trying to be Christ to them. Uh, he passed away uh, in a Jeep accident after a concert about 20 years ago, I think it was. Um, so I, I was kind of late to the game, but just loved um, so much of his music. And um, I want to, uh, I'm going to read these lyrics of this song that he wrote from Psalm 2, and then we're going to listen to it. I'm not going to make it my sing tonight, but I think it is important just for us to kind of grasp it. But I want to I I let you read these lyrics here because I think it's so good and such a powerful way to think. Uh, this is what it says. He says, Why do the nations rage? Why do they plot and scheme? sound familiar? Okay? (laughs) He's like, he didn't even, he's not even creative. Uh, Their bullets can't stop the prayers we pray in the name of the Prince of Peace. Now here, here, he's talking about conflict among the nations when we're unsure about how things are going to happen. So it's internal conflict, external conflict. Their bullets can't stop the prayers we pray. Can't do it. Um, We walk in faith and remember long ago how they killed him and then how on the third day he arose. Well, things may look bad and things may look grim, but all these things must pass except the things that are of him. And, and, I, and I love the, the thought of, of so much of this song. So what I'm going to do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn these things back here, and uh, we're just going to have a chance just to, to listen to this song because it really is something that I think hopefully we'll just minister to you just as somebody that kind of put this song together uh, walking through Psalm 2. So let me pull it out for us real quick.